Hey, Remar nurses, welcome to our How to Pass NCLEX episode. You've made it to the live class. This is going to be a very, very important subject matter, peritoneal dialysis. You know, with NCLEX being a clinical exam, we need to know the difference between the complications, the nursing considerations of um, hemodialysis and peritoneal dialysis, all right? So if this is your first time joining our How to Pass NCLEX episodes. My name is Regina Callian, and you have come to the place where we help nursing students pass the NCLEX exam. So if you like to talk about subjects like peritoneal dialysis, we're gonna introduce it. We are going to go over the nursing considerations. Come on in, welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, this is a channel that you should subscribe to. If you're watching on Facebook, like the page because this is what we do. We focus on the information for nursing students to pass their license exam. So connect with this community, connect with this community. So we're talking about um, dialysis in general, okay? So dialysis and get out your notes and share this video because we are going deep into the content today. Um, the, dialysis in general is a life-sustaining procedure that can replace renal function. So sometimes this will be called renal replacement therapy. Whether you're talking about peritoneal dialysis or hemodialysis, they fall in the category of renal replacement therapy. And that just makes sense because if you think about the renal system, we're talking about the kidneys and in patients who have a acute kidney failure or chronic kidney failure, their kidneys are no longer able to perform the, the function that keeps them alive. So the kidneys, when we're talking about kidneys, we're talking about filtering the blood, creating urine, all these things, all right? And so um, we're gonna get back into it again. Peritoneal dialysis uh, was and is an alternate treatment of acute renal failure. And this happens when hemodialysis, okay, dialysis through the blood is not available or when uh, access is, is not possible, all right? And so it is used sometimes as an initial treatment for renal failure. I feel like in nursing school though, there's a lot of emphasis on hemodialysis. We go to clinics where they only do dialysis, right? But not too many of us have exposure to hemodialysis uh, to peritoneal dialysis. And it's just as important. Uh, there has been a recent increase in patients choosing peritoneal dialysis over hemodialysis. Can you guys think about why that might be? Why patients might say, you know what? I don't know if I want to do uh, dialysis at a center three times a week, you know, things like that. So let's think about it. Uh, let's think about the implications for our patients and why this peritoneal dialysis is on the rise, it's on the rise. So when we talk about peritoneal dialysis, what is it? In essence, peritoneal dialysis is going to involve the transportations of solutes and water across a membrane, right? Across a membrane. So I have here my notes. We're looking at the peritoneal cavity and we are considering how that peritoneum is functioning almost like a filter. 
So I have here peritoneal dialysis accomplished the, accomplished the same objective and operate on the same principle, okay, on the same principle of diffusion. And so in peritoneal dialysis, in peritoneal dialysis, the peritoneum is a semi-permanent membrane. It's almost like a filter, right? And by osmosis, we're able to remove waste products. So did you know that about your peritoneum? Is that it can function just the same as the machine that does dialysis, the filter in that machine. So you can either have the filter of the machine, cleanse your blood, cleanse the fluid, cleanse your abdomen, or you can have your peritoneum do it. So that's really cool for anatomy, really cool for anatomy purpose. So these, these are the three things, because this is gonna come up as a question here in our review. When we talk about peritoneal dialysis, three transport processes are occurring. So you have diffusion, okay? You have your ultrafiltration, and you also have absorption. And so when you think about it, when you think about it, you are saying here that the solution that is going to be injected into the peritoneum, that is going to be diffused, your, your um, peritoneum is going to filter, and then you're going to have that fluid absorbed and because there's a catheter in place, that fluid is also going to be removed, removed, removed. So this practice is sometimes called CAP or CAPD, which is a continuous ambulatory peritoneal dialysis. And the patients can be at home. Again, they can be functional. We're going to get into that too. But again, we're talking about in the, the peritoneal capillaries, they are going to be able to diffuse, filtrate, and absorb the solution that is injected into the peritoneal cavity. Very, very important. All right, content, content, content. So if we wanted to do, yes, thank you. Thank you for taking the notes for everybody. Diffusion, ultrafiltration, fluid absorption. All right, that's going to be a question at the end. If we wanted to talk about the hemodialysis, which I'm betting most nursing students are more familiar with, and peritoneal dialysis, let's go over just some basic structure. So the access, because when you talk about dialysis, you are usually talking about either a machine doing it for you or a catheter doing it for you, some, some, something, all right? You're, you're having something that you need to be connected to. And so in hemodialysis, we have the arterial venous fistula or graft. I should have put a picture on here, but the, the fistula or graft is going to be used as a permanent fixture, okay? A permanent fixture in our patients because the frequency that they're going to get these, this hemodialysis done, you don't wanna have to be inserting 
a, a, a catheter into your patient's arm three times a week? Can you imagine the, the risk for infection, right? Or if you get someone who's not as skilled, the damage that can be done. So there's a surgical procedure that puts in a fistula or a graft on our patients. Now with peritoneal dialysis, you're gonna have a catheter placed. Now, depending on the method of peritoneal dialysis, that catheter will be temporary or it could be permanent. Okay. Anticoagulation requirements. In order to help the procedure be successfully administered, it may require your patients to have some ancillary medications to their, uh, to their treatment plan. Some medications they would not normally have to take, but because their kidneys are not functioning, we are going to have to thin out their blood. We're going to have to flush out their system even more. So in hemodialysis, you're gonna have systemic heparinization. What does that mean? What does that mean to you as a nursing student? All right, systemic heparinization. I haven't said that in a long time, all right? Or frequent saline flushes, okay? Remember, the goal is to anticoagulation. We are thinning out the blood. We are trying to prevent those platelets from gathering together. We're wanting to reduce blood clots. And so hemodialysis, you will have that. With your peritoneal dialysis, ah, patient may only need heparin intraperitoneally. And that is definitely different from a systemic, a systemic response required. And again, if we're talking about a local area, then that means that I don't have to worry about the blood in my legs being thin, the blood in my lungs being thinner, the blood in my heart being thinner, the blood in my brain being thinner, because this is not with peritoneal dialysis, it's not a systemic heparinization. It's just local to one area, okay? Local to one area. So catch the difference here. We're talking about, hey, Maybe this is why peritoneal dialysis is on the rise. Let's go to the length of treatment. So with hemodialysis, hi everyone, you made it to the live class. This is what we do here at Remar every Monday. Tap in while you're on your way to work, while you're cleaning your house, when you just got out of your virtual trainer, tap in and listen. The length of treatment for the hemodialysis, uh, three to four hours for one treatment three to four hours, three or more times per week, okay? And that's based on the patient acuity and need. Now, women out there, some of us can relate to sitting somewhere for three to four hours, okay? So some, some hairstyles that I get require three to four hours. By the time I wash my hair, they blow dry it, they do whatever they're going to do to it. I may be getting braids. I may be getting a sew-in. I may be getting just a silk press. That could take three to four hours, okay? Now, imagine sitting for three to four hours three times a week, coming and getting that same process done over again. You sit down. You get your hair washed. You get it blow-dried. I mean, you're doing that three to four hours. That's what our patients feel. 
They have to sit down. They have to get connected to the machine. They have to go through their, their pre-treatment medications. They have to sit there, watch. Oh my goodness, you guys. All right. This is a very, it's, it's a life-saving treatment, but it is intense. It is complicated. We have Remar nurses on here commenting now that this is what they had to do. They're on it right now. Shout out to nurse Kathy, who during nursing school, had to get this done. She suffered, a young woman suffered from, um, you know, a chronic kidney failure. She now has uh, new kidneys, right? She got, uh, she got her transplant. And I just talked to her the other day. She is asking me about travel nursing. And so um, this is a very real reality, right? A very real reality for those of you who know. If you know, you know. If you know someone who's gone through it, if you have gone through it yourself, you know that this is a time-intensive treatment, all right? A time-intensive treatment. And the thing about it is that it's very stressful on the rest of the body. Hemodialysis is very stressful on the rest of the body. Okay, so when we, when we compare that to peritoneal dialysis, what are we having? We are having um, a, what they call a continuous or cycled intermittent exchange. And so the time here is between one to six hours. And you're, you're doing it, you're doing it according to your need, okay? You're doing it according to your need um, and, and the, the flexibility of this treatment makes it, makes it preferential sometimes. All right. But there, there are, when we talk about peritoneal dialysis, cause this is what we're focusing on. It's not all good. It's not all great. There are some advantages and disadvantages. So we're going to talk about just the peritoneal dialysis advantages. So the advantage is that the equipment is easy to use. You can do it at home, right? You have a continuous removal of waste and fluid when you do it uh, peritoneal way. Less hemodynamic changes. So you just feel better overall. You feel better. You have, you have better stability in your body because every organ is not being affected. Every organ is not being involved. Remember, we talked about systemic heparinization of a patient on hemodialysis. Fewer dietary restrictions. Hey, that's always great. People like to eat what they like to eat, what they grew up eating. I'm not saying it's always beneficial, but having to make extreme changes of your diet can sometimes be tough. And then peritoneal dialysis allows you to stay in the comfort of your own home. You can do the treatment at home. Yep. Now, the, the, the disadvantages are, are there too. You, it requires more time. The waste products that are removed during peritoneal dialysis are going to be removed slow. And even slower if a patient um, has any kind of like me metabolism or catabolic issues. Um, the complications of peritonitis, you cannot, you can't really get away from peritonitis, which is an inflammation of the peritoneum because you are frequently 
using your peritoneum. You're, you're accessing that space. And so just like anything else, just like our veins, right? If we continue to access our veins, we're going to get phlebitis. We're going to get an inflammation. And so peritonitis is something that one with peritoneal dialysis going will come to know. Longer periods of immobilization. Sometimes you do have to be restricted. Um, and so remember the treatment there is one to six hours. And so sometimes during that time, you're just kind of sitting. You're just sitting in a chair. You're watching TV as your dialysis goes. Now, I don't know if any, I know people who do dialysis, peritoneal dialysis, and they're doing it in their car or they're, they're stopping it and starting it at their leisure. And so that is one of the things that you would consider. Does a patient really have to be immobile during that entire time? Okay. Now, um, abdominal discomfort, abdominal discomfort. Yes, because that fluid exchange is not going through a fistula or an AV shunt. It is actually going through the peritoneum. So Yep, you are going to have some abdominal discomfort. And um, yeah, when we talk about dietary restrictions, they're still going to have the general restrictions of a patient who has um, a, a acute renal or chronic renal failure. So that means, yes, you're going to have to manage your weight. You're going to have to look at and think about how much fluid you are taking in every day. Peritoneal dialysis doesn't um, doesn't totally get you off the hook, but you may not have to worry about, hey, how much warfare, I mean, how much, uh, let me say this, how much uh, green leafy vegetables am I getting in that way? Because you're, you're, you're not being heparinized all over, things like that. All right. So what happens, what happens before, during, and after the procedure? So I have here before you have the solution going, your peritoneal dialysis systems, you're assessing and managing. And this is for the nursing perspective because you have to be familiar with your clinical responsibility to this patient. Um, during you have the peritoneal dialysis set, the catheter set, the trocar set, and that is to help the catheter get in place, the ancillary drugs. And afterwards we are monitoring the input and output. So. When we talk about before, um, when we talk about the solution, peritone peritoneal dialysis solutions contain uh, a lot of electrolytes, all right? So the, the, the majority of the electrolytes that you need to have, your dialysis solution is going to have them, all right? But the dialysate used in hemodialysis is different. So the, um, with hemodialysis, the solutions have to be sterile because they're going into your, they're going into your bloodstream. They're going directly into your bloodstream here. And so there's not really a filter in the body that is going to be filtering these things out. Does that make sense? And so when we talk about the peritoneal dialysis, they are going to have your concentrations of electrolytes, but they're going to lack your creatinine and uh, urea and other substances as well. Now, the what I want to say about the solution too is that most dialysate solutions have a, 
a dextrose base. Kind of think about it like TPN. Like we think about TPN and we know that TPN, we have to monitor our patient's blood glucose levels. And so if we start TPN, we have to do, you know, blood sugar checks at a frequent interval. But how about, how about patients who come in with kidney failure and they also have dialysis uh, monitored and they also have to have diabetes mellitus because sometimes these two come together very frequently. And so that is addressed with peritoneal dialysis. And so what we do is take notes on this. This is very important. If a client has diabetes mellitus and they want to do peritoneal dialysis, they have to be on a corn starch formula, not a dextrose-based formula, a corn starch formula. Does that make sense? All right, so keep that in your mind because corn starch formulas don't have, we're talking about the solution, we're talking about the solution for peritoneal dialysis, okay? Also, peritoneal dialysis does not contain potassium. Um, it, uh, if it does, it's a very small amount. So the patient's potassium in their bloodstream has to be monitored very closely if there's any potassium added to the, um, to the solution. All right. When we talk about when we talk about the peritoneal dialysis systems, these are systems that are usually automated. And so there is a sense of a timing on them that helps the patients remove the fluid. We're talking about the peritoneal dialysis system. So sometimes there's two ways you can do it. Most of the times patients will have a machine and that machine will transfer transfer the dialysate in and out of the peritoneum. Or you have patients that actually are creating the sense of transfer themselves. Listen, if you haven't seen it before and you want to know 100%, look it up on YouTube because there are many, many videos of even patients, you know, YouTube, like everybody is their own, own, own you know, show. They have patients that are actually showing how they do peritoneal dialysis, all right? So getting into the, um, the access and management system of the peritoneal, uh, sorry, assessment and management, these are the things that you as the nurse must do pre-procedure, before the procedure. So if the catheter is new, and I hope you guys are taking notes on this, if the catheter is new, all right, you need to, explain to the patient what is going to be happening to them, right? And so that goes back to having an informed consent. And we have to make sure that that is signed before a patient can get a peritoneal catheter, all right? Um, and before the procedure is done, of course, they're going to empty their bladder because we are going to be accessing that um, that space. And a full bladder can displace many things. It's just like in pregnancy, if the bladder is full, we need to have the patient void. When you talk about the assessment of the dialysate solution, we need to be warming that to body temperature or slightly warmer 
using a device that is using a device that is specifically for warming dialysate solutions. Because this can be done at home, sometimes when I am doing reset um, NCLEX questions about peritoneal dialysis, there is always an option where they say, can this review is for RNMPN, okay? This review is for RNMPN talking about peritoneal dialysis. You have to know this information about it. If you are going into the hospital, the home, the clinic, anywhere, you should know this. If a patient's doing peritoneal dialysis at home, they will put the option of warming up the solution in the microwave, okay? Warming it up in the microwave for 10 seconds, feeling it to make sure that the temperature of the dialysate solution is even. No, no, we would never warm it up in the microwave, okay? Never would do that, all right? Um, and just because, of course, you cannot determine the temperature of that microwave. The microwave in my kitchen, I don't know where Mark got this microwave from, but it's huge. It's like this industrial strength microwave. He probably got it at a flea market or a garage sale. But literally in five seconds, it will incinerate anything that I have put in there. So we cannot tell a patient to ever put um, any kind of dialysate solution. Just cross-referencing. We don't put formula in the microwave. What are there some other fluids that we say? We don't put in the microwave. I don't know. Um, what are some other fluids? You guys let me know. Um, somebody says, Her, did you say what's good for a solution for peritoneal dialysis? Usually the solution, um, what I said about the solution is that it's a dextrose-based solution. So it's usually two and a half or four and a half uh, dextrose-based. But what I wanted you guys to know is I didn't I didn't you didn't need to know the solution for um, you didn't need to know the percentage of dextrose. What I wanted you to know is that if a patient had diabetes mellitus type two, we don't want to use that dextrose based solution. We want to use cornstarch. OK, and if you are just joining us, yes, you are late. We are talking about peritoneal dialysis. We're going over the pre procedure assessments. Um, and let me just show you the slide. This is where we are. Okay, so we're still on if the patient is before the procedure, they're just getting the, the peritoneal dialysis. Also, other things we want to do after we've had the consent, the dialysis solution is warm, body temperature slightly warmer, take the patient's uh, vital signs, examine the abdomen before the catheter is inserted, and then follow the policy procedures. Okay, during the procedure, during the procedure, what we want to um, make sure that is happening is that that peritoneal dialysis administration set is present, okay? Um, the catheter set is also present. The trocar is just, we're talking about here the initial placement of the peritoneal dialysis catheter. Um, the the trocar set is essentially what is used to help the patient um, help the physician get that catheter into the patient's peritoneum because the physician is going to make a small incision right below the umbilical cord of the patient and this is a sterile this is a sterile procedure so a trocar is going to be inserted in this incision it's kind of like an obturator 
Okay. And so the catheter is going to be inserted into that trocar so that it, it gets to the right place. And then you will have the, um, the ancillary drugs. What, what are the ancillary drugs that can be? We are going to have the, the local heparin. The patient will probably get some lidocaine to the, um, to the incision site. And that's an anesthetic lidocaine. We're going to get some antibiotics on board for this patient too, just in case they have any kind of um, chances of getting an infection afterwards. So once the physician has gotten that catheter into place, they're going to flow some dialysis solution into, a gra into the abdominal cavity through gravity. They're going to probably do it as fast as possible. And then after that, the tubing is going to be, this is very important to know that when that solution is put into the peritoneum, put into the peritoneum, it, it stays there. So the solution is put into the peritoneum and the catheter is clamped off, all right? And then the patient is going to hold that solution for about what, um, what did I put in my notes for about 20 minutes? Okay. And 20 to 30 minutes. And then, and then, um, hold on, I see a question here. And then after that, the, um, the, the dialysis that dialysate will be removed. All right. And so this is done. This is done so that the patient can actually begin the peritoneal dialysis right away. So there's a question that says, Regina, can a client change to peritoneal dialysis from hemodialysis? Yes, it's possible. It's possible. Um, it's possible. But again, hemodialysis is um, usually more popular because it is more aggressive and it produces certain results very quickly. So if your physician puts in an access, um, a graft or an access in your arm for hemodialysis, the intention is that, or the hope is that you get to a place where you don't need it any longer, or usually I think the, and, and you guys can check me on this, usually when a patient starts dialysis, their life expectancy rate is about um, five to eight years, I believe, right? So this is a life-sustaining treatment, but usually it's a terminal treatment unless you get um, new organs, new organs, okay? So I have a comment. Most younger people lean towards peritoneal dialysis. Yeah, I think, you know, it is, um, it definitely is a personal choice. I don't know. I don't know of too many people who, who have done hemodialysis and transitioned to peritoneal dialysis. Usually it's like one or the other. It's usually one or the other, because like I said, there's advantages and disadvantages of both. And so if you're getting hemodialysis three times a week, you are probably um, going to be very, uh, I don't know, am, am I, am I, would I be wrong to say you probably be very weak um, afterwards, after the treatment, you may have um, issues if you live at home alone, you may need additional care. And so adding peritoneal dialysis to your plate may be a bit much. It may be a bit much. So, 
Okay, so we're there. Um, Post-procedure here, after the procedure is done, it is the duty of the nurse to um, monitor fluid input and output. All right, and these are the interventions we have to do, monitor blood pressure and pulse rates. Now, what type of blood pressure is going to be the most important? Give it to me. We, we probably only know two types of blood pressure. So what would you say? What would you say for the blood pressure? What blood pressure are we going to be specifically looking for after a patient has done peritoneal dialysis? Let me see. Um, checking the comments. Yes, 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 yes. Orthostatic blood pressure, hypotension. This is going to be so important for the nurses to monitor. Always connect that with dialysis post-dialysis, whether it's hemodialysis or peritoneal dialysis. So we're going to be doing orthostatic blood pressure, looking for changes in that. We are going to be looking for um, the heart rate, of course, is included with that. Uh, peritonitis, we need to detect signs of peritonitis early. What are the signs of peritonitis? Does anybody know? Put them on the screen. If you know what peritonitis is going to look and feel like to your patient. Oh, um, okay, so peritonitis, you're going to have a fever. It's going to be low-grade fever. Also, abdominal pain. And this one is very important. Cloudy peritoneal fluid, cloudy dialysate. That one right there is the one. That is your cue that there is possible signs of infection. And so um, when you are doing the peritoneal dialysis, you need to have on sterile gloves while the abdominal dressing is being changed and when the catheter is being assessed or discontinued, okay? All right, very important, very important. Also, if there's any other complications, another complication that I see with um, peritonitis or peritoneal dialysis is if the peritoneal fluid is coming out too slowly, coming out too slowly, maybe because of the catheter. Um, yeah, yep, yep, yep. So that's going to be an issue and also constipation, constipation as well because the patient may be experiencing more abdominal discomfort and distension. All right, I gotta move on to this here. This is the procedure again in a closer view for you guys to see it. So the catheter is implanted through the abdominal wall and there uh, the dialysis fluid is gonna flow by gravity into the peritoneal catheter. It should not be pushed in, it should not be squeezed in. And so after it is in the peritoneal catheter and then the peritoneal cavity after that, the fluid is going to be drained by gravity and thrown out. Okay, it is going to be thrown out. And so with this happening, this patient honestly is able to go about their day. They're, they're able to go about their day um, and they're able to move around and do their usual activities. They should be. They should be. They should be able to do that. All right. this. And so the types of peritoneal dialysis are going to be here followed. Just get 
just be familiar with the definition. Like if I said intermittent dialysis, this is the peritoneal dialysis that is the most frequently used with acute kidney injuries. It's the most common. It's the most practiced probably in parts of the world where patients are going to be treated for about two to three days. Um, and then they're going to have the installation and drainage of the fluid over about 30 to 60 minutes. Okay. And so this is usually done. Um, well, actually, I'm, I'm going to try to think. Let me think. I don't want to say it's usually done at any point because it's up to the degree of the acute kidney injury, whether a patient does this more frequently or less frequently. So what I really want you to know is that intermittent peritoneal dialysis is the most common form of dialysis. And this is where, again, you have the fluids going in very quickly. Okay, the drainage of the fluids occur in about 30 to 60 minutes. Continuous equilibrated peritoneal dialysis. This is a type of dialysis that is similar to the continuous ambulatory type that I mentioned, where you're, you're able to keep the dialysate in for a little bit longer, two to six hours, okay? Um, but it is not that popular, okay? It is really not going to be the the recommended type of dialysis for patient is really need-based, really, really need-based. Tidal peritoneal dialysis or TPD, uh, sorry, let me go back. This is where, so my computer, hold on, computer is acting a little bit crazy. This is where you have um, dialysis and so this is with a dedicated cycler. And so that means you have a machine that is going to be infusing large amounts of the dialysis solution, followed by draining a portion of that as well. So about 50 to 75% of the, um, of the, of the, the dialysate is going to be taken out and replaced. And that is going to happen on a continuous basis. So you have a machine doing the work for you. So I want you to think about this one as well. All right. Because this one is going to be, I think this is the up and coming one uh, for, for technology, for technology wise. High volume peritoneal dialysis is for a selected group of acute injury patients. And that is based on their metabolic control and their fluid control. And so what happens with high volume, I'm trying to think how can I explain it the best way, the high volume peritoneal dialysis, it is where a high solute removal happens. And so this means that larger particles of um, of waste are able to be removed from your patient because this patient already has an appropriate metabolic and pH control. So many factors play into whether 
a person can get a high volume amount of waste out. And that is going to be age, their current urine output, and also if they have risk for sepsis. So those are the those are the four types that I wanted to go over with intermittent being the most popular and title PD being the one with the machine doing most of the work for you, most of the work for you. Okay. Our nursing considerations, our nursing considerations are going to be um, incomplete recovery of fluid. Okay, tag your favorite nursing partner who needs to review this dialysis information. So incomplete recovery of fluid. Um, and that is the idea that the fluid that is removed should be equal to the amount that was infused. And so about 1,000 to 2,000 milliliters of fluid are usually a part of the dialysate solution, okay? And so if you are getting less than, uh, let's see, 500, they say if you get less than that, so if you put in 1,000 and you're only getting 500 back, then an evaluation needs to be made. If you put in 2,000 and you're only getting 1,500 out, then an evaluation needs to be made. So just subtract 500 from what you put in. And if you're getting that number, then your patient is probably retaining the abdominal, um, uh, retaining the stylosate in their abdomen, okay? And so the most accurate way for us to check whether the a proper amount of fluid is coming out is gonna be accurate I's and O's, but also something else that is gonna be very important and that is the patient's weight. And many of you mentioned this, if your patient is not returning all of their dialysate, it is okay to move them around, move them from side to side, elevate the head of the bed, or gently massage the abdomen, gently massage the abdomen, and that may facilitate some drainage, okay? All right. Um, Leakage around the catheter. Leakage around the catheter is something else that you need to know about. And so a superficial leakage after surgery, that may just be controlled with um, maybe additional sutures, right? Because maybe the catheter is smaller than the hole that was produced there. So that is something that um, the doctor should address if you make note of it. Also, um, some other things that may cause leakage would be if the patient vomits, because that is going to have um, abdominal pressure if they are coughing, or if they move around a lot during the beginning post-operative period. Those are things that would be considered um, normal responses uh, to causing leakage around the catheter. All right. So us as nurses, we have to check that abdominal dressing to make sure that it is in, it is intact and that it is not saturated. Blood, blood tinge peritoneal fluid, you guys know that that is going to be considered necessary and that is going to be considered normal as part of this procedure. So I don't have anything to say about blood, blood tinge solution, just to monitor it, okay? 
Nursing considerations, I have mentioned peritonitis several times, uh, but it is, a, it is a serious complication, all right? And so again, signs of peritonitis, low-grade fever, abdominal pain, uh, cloudy peritoneal drainage. And if we, if we find out about it early, we can treat it as soon as possible. We would want to start a patient on antibiotics for peritonitis, all right? And um, usually with, with antibiotics, the condition turns around very, very quickly. Catheter infections, we are doing daily dressing changes and ourselves or the, or the patient should be changing their dressing daily. And we would be looking for signs of infection of the catheter, such as tenderness, redness, all right? And that is, that's pretty standard this would be considered if, if we're as nurses are looking at it is pretty much probably a new catheter. So we would be looking at normal signs of infections. So what are our teaching? Okay. And this is for RN and this is for PN. This is very important because even if you're a practical nurse, you still need to do follow-up teaching. And so we teach our parents, uh, our patients, Keep your hands clean the whole dialysis process. Okay. The dial the dialysate bag should be made of sealed plastic. Okay. We need to frequently replace our dialysis tubing. We're cleaning injection ports and tubing connectors with a bacterial cytal solution before introducing um, drugs or shutting down a system. If you have some um, infection, signs of infection along your catheter site, we are changing the dressing site every day using aseptic method and check each day for um, a rise in either swelling or drainage. All right. These are also other considerations. Like I said, this is a very aggressive. Um, this is a very aggressive and serious intervention. So we do have to monitor for hypotension if excessive fluid is removed. All right. Get ready, you guys, for your questions. I'm going to do some review questions of all that we have studied. Hypertension and fluid overload is possible again if the dialysate solution has not been removed then hypertension and fluid overload can occur. Also, um, with hypertension, the weight can increase, okay? Um, and so we need to monitor our patients for signs of respiratory distress as well as pulmonary congestion. High BUN and creatinine, blood urea, nitrogen, and creatinine levels are closely monitored because they can help evaluate whether this dialysis is effective or not. All right, because if it's not effective, then these levels will remain what? High or low? They're going to remain high, the BUN and creatinine. And so that is going to indicate that waste products are not being removed. Um, hyper, hyperglycemia. Hyperglycemia would be the indication of the dialysate solution being mostly dextrose. 
And so we addressed that. We talked about it. You may need to monitor your patient's blood glucose levels because the dialysate solution is dextrose-based. And pain is a real thing as we are literally pushing fluids in the abdomen that normally don't belong there. And immobility as well, if patients feel like they have to remain, remain seated, remain seated or remain immobile. Okay. All right. So really, uh, really a lot of things that you have to consider if on your licensure exam, you're given a patient who is going through peritoneal dialysis. There's a lot of things that you as a nurse need to be able to understand about this intervention. So I'm excited that we went over it today. I hope that you guys enjoyed the review. Now let's see how you do on the questions. All right. All right, here we go. So our how to pass NCLEX, we have to do it by reviewing the content first and then going over questions. So here's the first question here. We talked about this. Peritoneal dialysis works in the setting of peritoneal transport of which three processes that occur simultaneously. All right, here we go. I said it, diffusion, alter filtration, and blank. Is it number one, sodium absorption, two, osmosis, three, fluid absorption, or four, fluid removal? What sayeth you guys here? I wanna see perfection on the screen. I really do. I wanna see perfection on the screen because we went over the content. And so if you were here at the beginning of class, then this is easy peasy. Like my son says, he's five. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy, mom. <laughs> All right. And that is how it should be every time you sit down for NCLEX. You should be able to, you should be able to get the content right because you studied, you studied, okay? You studied. So let us look at the right answer. And the right answer is number three, fluid absorption. Do you have it? Did you get it? Yes, okay, perfect. It is fluid absorption. Um, from the peritoneal cavity, the space, our lymphatics are working at a constant rate. And so what's happening, people, is that fluid absorption is going to be causing the efficiency of the solute, which are the particles, and the fluid removal by peritoneal dialysis, okay? And so number three is right. You got to get that content going. You got to make use of it, all right? And study in the right way. Study in the right way. So this is what, I, this is what we do. Now, let's go on to another question. It's a new question. It's a new opportunity. A new question with a new opportunity. Okay, so solutions used in peritoneal dialysis have dextrose. Okay, a nurse is preparing peritoneal dialysis to a diabetic client. The nurse anticipates to use a solution that is, here we go, one, cornstarch-based two, lactate-based, three, sodium-based, four, potassium-based. Oh, I know who was with me earlier because if you were with me earlier, I told you the answer to this. Very important safety no point to note. And this is why I'm glad you show up. 
because I know most of y'all who are getting this right would not have gotten this right if you didn't come to class today. So you came to class and you learned something new and it's gonna make you a better nurse. It's gonna make you a more competent nurse. That's what Remar is about. It's empowering you guys with knowledge that to be honest, you may not have learned in nursing school. That's the shame of it. You may not have learned this in nursing school, but you learned it today. Okay, the correct answer is definitely number one, cornstarch, okay? And so cornstarch-based solutions are currently and commonly used for patients with diabetes because they don't contain dextrose, okay? They don't contain dextrose. And so that is why we love them so much. All right, I got to move on. It's almost been an hour. Monday motivation is <laughs> never supposed to be that long. Okay. Um, all right, let me see here. I have to go. Let me see what. All right, let me check here now. I set this up today without Mark's help because he's not here today. So let me see why this isn't connecting. Could it be this thing here? Give me one second, guys. Is that going to work for us? Woo! All right, cool. Now let me take that away. All right. Thank you, Jesus, for letting that come back on. All right, here we go. The type of peritoneal dialysis requires, no, this type of peritoneal dialysis requires a dedicated cycler, okay? It results in higher small molecular weight solute clearances and has reduced pain frequency on drainage of dialysate from the abdomen. All right, so is it number one, continuous equilibrated PD? Two, intermittent PD? Three, tidal PD? Or four, high volume PD? So this is saying this type of PD, peritoneal dialysis, has a little small machine, a dedicated cycler that is going to be pulling the fluid off of the patient. Come on, notes. Come on, y'all. I, I see, I see y'all trying so hard. Okay, let's see the answers. Yes, I'm so proud of you guys. I literally am because this is just comprehension and knowledge. The correct answer is the correct answer is number three. Amazing. All right. The title peritoneal dialysis is performed with a dedicated machine or a cycler. And so this is going to allow that volume that's put in to be pulled out and then replaced with fresh solution. All right, if you missed the beginning of this class, you need to go back to it. You need to go back to it because we really got in, de in depth with peritoneal dialysis. Like I don't think I ever talked that much about it before. So this is a unique class. Question number four, during peritoneal dialysis, the nurse noted a blood, blood tinge peritoneal fluid. What should the nurse anticipate to be ordered? Number one, antibiotics. Two, increased fluid volume. Three, continued monitoring. Or four, a blood transfusion. We did go over this today. We did go over this today, and that was what would blood-tinged peritoneal fluid mean to you? Okay. 
What is that going to mean? That is going to indicate to us that our patient, I see the answers on the screen. All right. Our patient is going to just require continued monitoring. Blood tinge peritoneal fluid is the expected outflow. Okay. All right. But it should clear after a few exchanges. It should not be totally bloody. Okay. Totally bloody and blood tinged are two different things. So don't let that first word fool you. All right. Now, um, let's go to the last and final question. Um, one of the most common serious complications of status, status post-peritoneal dialysis is peritonitis. How many times did we hear that? Peritonitis. The nurse knows that aside from abdominal pain, nausea, and vomiting peritonitis, also, and vomiting, sorry, peritonitis also can cause, all right, number one, is it dark red drainage of peritoneal fluid? Two, cloudy drainage of peritoneal fluid. Three, fruity smelling drainage of peritoneal fluid. Four, reduce volume of drained peritoneal fluid. What do you guys say here? So this was the question. One of the most common serious complications of status post-peritoneal dialysis is peritonitis. The nurse knows that aside from abdominal pain, nausea, and vomiting, Peritonitis also can cause what? Is it the dark red drainage, the cloudy drainage, the fruity smelling drainage, or is it a reduced volume of peritoneal fluid? Ah, ah, I see the answers. And the correct answer is indeed number two, cloudy drainage. Cloudy drainage. Cloudiness of fluid. All right. And this it happens when there is peritonitis that that filter. No good. OK, that filter has been inflamed, it's been infected and it is not performing at its optimal level. How are you guys feeling? How are you guys feeling after doing all of that content? So I spent about 40 minutes on content with you guys today <laughs> and then we did questions. How are you feeling? Um, are you happy to be here? All right. Are you happy with your score? Are you happy to see a new day? Are you feeling grateful? All right. Um, did anybody get a perfect score? Did anybody get everything right? It's not about perfection. It's really not about perfection. It's about learning. It's about having the opportunity to learn. And in our society, in nursing, particularly, you all have more opportunities to learn than any other generation of nurses. You got, I'm, I'm, I'm liking the four out of five. Are you thankful? Are you thankful for where you are, for the opportunity you have in front of you? Just think a hundred years ago, the nurses could not hop on social media and get a lesson. A hundred years ago, if you didn't know it, you still did the job. Right. If a patient came in, if a patient came in 
And if you worked as a ward nurse and a patient came in and half of their leg was blown off, whether you had a simulation or a clinical experience, you got that leg cleaned up. You got the job done. All right. And so I want us today to remember this principle here. Everything that you have is worth thanksgiving. All right. And I don't know if you can just think of some of the things maybe you're struggling right now. Maybe there's somebody here that is struggling because they are depressed that they are not where they think they should be. And they are watching this video and they're more discouraged than anything else. But you have so many other things that you could be thankful for. A loving friend, a family member, um, the, the, the clothes on your back. Listen. How many of us, tell the truth right now, how many of us just finished back to school shopping for our kids? How many of us just, just finished shopping for our children to go to school? How many of us have looked at graduate seven years started today. That's all right. Let's do it. Okay. How many of us look at our closet and say, you know what? The weather is changing. I need to pull out my fall clothes. It's getting cold now, right? I got short sleeve Remar shirts. I got long sleeve Remar shirts. How many of us have clothes in our closet for every season? You got when, when it's, when it's winter outside, you got winter boots, you got winter coat, you got scarves and gloves. When it's hot outside, you got swimsuits, you got rompers, you got shorts. Every season, you have a new wardrobe, okay? You are part of the wealthiest people on earth. Most of you guys who are watching, watching me on social media, you may not have a Maserati, but you got clothes for every season. You're extremely blessed, okay? Uh, you got food on the table. This is Thanksgiving. This is Thanksgiving before Thanksgiving right now today. You are experiencing newness with every failure, with every mistake, with every difficulty, with every trial. You ought to be thankful for it because, number one, um, you're in a new day that you've never seen. This day never has been seen in history. It's a brand new day. Okay, even if it feels like, oh, it's just Monday. No, this is not just Monday. This is the new Monday. Right. And I was just reading how even if you go through something that is difficult, like a trial or um, a, a stressor, God created it in our minds that when something new happens to us, brain cells are firing off. Like, what is this? Why, why does it feel like this? Where did this come from? And literally new brain cells are developing every time we experience something new something difficult, something challenging. And so I want to leave you guys with this thought that, hey, do something that you haven't done before. Be willing to overcome a failure or be willing to go past a difficult moment because literally you're growing new parts of yourself. Your brain is expanding. You come out of that thing a new person, literally. That's how amazing God is. Like you literally, when you pass NCLEX, you will be a different person, not just in your mind mentally, but physically, because you'll have all these new brain cells that were like, hey, what was that? What just happened to us? We just did something amazing. 
Let's keep that in our memory. You know what I mean? And so every difficulty, every trial should be a point of thanksgiving. Lord, you're going to do it for me. And so the work that we do today, it may be difficult. It may be trying, but we should thank God because it is his gift to us. It is his gift to us. I like that from Pastor David Jeremiah. And what we get to see is that even during the good and bad times, it is the Lord who still provides. It is the Lord who still is responsible for holding you together. All right. Um, and so this is the, this is the scripture. This is the scripture. Uh, Psalms 118, 24. This is the song. Y'all may know it. This is the day. This is the day that the Lord has made. How many people sing that in church? Come on. Y'all know we start off church service with this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And the mothers of the church can sing that song over and over and over and over again. Just this is the day. And it's how, how many people know that when we sing songs of thanksgiving, we are singing scripture. We are singing scripture. All right. And so um, in all the difficulties, there is always a relief. Thank the Lord. I'm heavy on thanking the Lord today. I'm heavy on the thanksgiving, guys, um, for all that he has given you. And so this is a wonderful opportunity uh, that he has given us on today. So I just want to leave you guys. I had no intentions. I, I promise you, I had no intentions of keeping you guys an hour today, but I do thank you for rocking with me on this Monday. We do this every week, every Monday. If this is your first time here, Remar Nurses, every Monday we get together and we just communicate. We grow. We have our, we have our content for the day. Even if we didn't study anything else, we know we know peritoneal dialysis. We know we know we know it. And then after that, we have our motivation to keep our mental right, all right? We don't want to be toxic. We don't want to be um, dwelling in negativity. So our week this week is going to be Thanksgiving. We're just going to look for opportunities to be thankful for new brain cells to be developing. And we got our scripture for the week. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice. We will be glad in it, all right? So any anything that comes at you this week. I don't care what it is, right? You get a bill that you weren't expecting. This is the day that the Lord has made. I'm gonna rejoice. Your kids come home, they acting crazy. This is the day that the Lord has made. That's how you gotta, that's how you gotta roll with this. You don't wanna study, you gotta study, all right? You gotta do it. And so um, I do this every Monday about noonish Eastern time. I will be um, doing Monday motivations in perpetuity forever as much as I possibly can. <laughs> All right. That's right. Rebuke any anything that comes against you this week in the name of Jesus. You have the strength to go on and go past it. And so thank you guys so much. I say this all the time, but I really mean it. You can, you will, and you must pass NCLEX. Thank you for watching. Thank you for rocking with me. Um, I love you guys so much. If nobody's told you, thank you. Thank you so much for all you do. And I will see you later. Bye-bye.